Welcome to Advancing All Women with Next Up. On this show, you'll hear top executives and experts talk the most pressing topics of the moment for women in the workplace, including key issues that affect the advancement of women, creating better workplaces for women of color, DEI and B solutions, and more. So today I will forego that normal intro that I provide at the beginning of each show. I humbly appreciate that each and every minute of this discussion today should be focused on the three inspiring leaders you will meet and hear from. And my words, well, they just cannot do justice. (laughs) You can't even compare to the stories and journeys that they will be sharing with you. I am truly in awe of their strength, courage, fortitude, and most importantly, the resilience they have demonstrated, not just once, but twice and many, many times over. I'm Sarah Alter, your host of the Advancing All Women podcast and proudly the CEO and president of Next Up. Enough said by me, let's meet our guests. So we are joined by Rebecca Fogg, author of Beautiful Trauma and Small World. She was my fellow classmate many, many moons ago in business school. We're also joined by Lindsay Roy, SVP Consumer Experience and CMO for Hallmark Cards. And she is also an author of The Gift of Perspective. And she's going to, both Becca and Lindsay are going to tell you more just about their amazing, amazing, what I'm going to call works of art. And then last but not least, Jackie Johnson. And yes, you have heard from her before. She is a regular visitor. She is a resilience expert, strategist, speaker, executive trainer, and coach who also partners with us at Next Up on curating all of our just phenomenal conferences and a couple of our award-winning leadership development programs. So welcome to all three of you, and thank you so much for joining me today. Just so grateful you're here. Thanks for having us. We're looking forward to the chat. Thank you so much. Yeah. All righty. So, okay. So, Becca. Let's kick it off with you. Um, you know, again, it was so fun to reconnect. It had been yeah. way too long, right? I like, know. We're, we're not even going to tell people how many years ago it was because that will <laughs> that will age us. <laughs> we're just as, that. We're just as cool now as we were then, right? <laughs> mm. um, but please tell us, you know, why are you here to share your resilience journey and what what was that journey? Yeah. Um, thank you so much for having me and for having this conversation, Sarah. It's really um, wonderful. So uh, a pretty bizarre accident late one night in 2006, my hand was partially amputated when the plumbing in my bathroom exploded. And uh, so I, that's a very long story of how it happened. Um, wow. I stopped the bleeding. I called 911 and the next day surgeons replanted my hand The surgery went well, but that was definitely not the end of the drama. Uh, Recovery was very difficult, both psychologically and physically. Um, There was lots of pain because of the complexity of the injury. Um, The meds couldn't completely alleviate it. 
there were the effects of trauma. So um, you've probably heard about intrusive thoughts and violent dreams, exhaustion, brain fog. Uh, there was also a lot of uncertainty, which made things really difficult. So the doctors couldn't tell me how useful my hand would be because it all depended on how my particular body healed, um, you know, how well the physical therapy went for me, et cetera. And then there was just this, you know, sense of powerlessness. I was pretty physically and mentally incapacitated for, for quite a while, need a lot of help. So, you know, this was one of those really difficult, adverse life experiences. And um, to cope, I asked for a lot of help and I received yeah. a lot of that. And I definitely wrote about that in a book. Um, but something else that I did was dive into the science of trauma and resilience. And that was the recommendation of a friend. And it surprised me a little bit because I thought, you know, the surgery is over. I don't have any treatment decisions to make, you know, what, how is that going to help me now? And what it did was really helped me understand what was happening to me, what my body was trying to do in healing. Uh, and so I could appreciate tiny, tiny milestones. I could appreciate the fact that some things just weren't going to come back because of the complexity. Um, and it also gave me a sense of strength and progress, which was really important. So it was something that I did at a time when there was very little else that I could do. And, and I found the science so inspiring and so hopeful that I included it in my book. So the book is mm -hmm. both a memoir of my lived experience. What did it feel like to go through this? But it's also a real blow by blow of what exactly happens in your brain and your body at the moment of trauma and as you find your own way to recovering. Um, and I would just say to, to sum it up, there's so many things that I learned from the experience and so many ways in which it helped me decide what kind of a life I wanted to lead and how to live it better and be more who I wanted to be. But one of the most powerful things that I learned was that uh, from the science in particular, was that no matter who we are, we respond to adversity in really different ways. And that's because mm -hmm. our psychological and emotional response to things, and in fact, our health status in general, it's shaped by innumerable biological, psychological, social, and environmental factors. So there's no right or way, wrong way to feel about what you're going through. There's no right or wrong way to emotionally respond. Some people do it with humor. Some people do it by telling the story or not telling the story. You know, so it helped. It gave me an appreciation for all of those conflicting feelings that I was having and maybe for how other people were responding to my trauma. Um, and also because so much, you know, these innumerable interacting factors, so much is beyond our control it really helped me understand why I needed to have deep empathy for myself mm -hmm. and also for other people going through things. Um, you know, there's this great American focus on, you know, you've got this and dream it and you can be it and all of that. Mm -hmm. And that's really terrific when it, you know, it inspires you to challenge yourself and to try new things um, and to summon, you know, all of what you've got to tackle something. But it's also really important to accept what we can't control. And I think that just understanding the science behind it, how many factors there are involved helped me do that. And I hope helps me be more helpful to other people in my life. Um, and it's also, you know, important if you feel comfortable, it's really important talking, you know, sharing these experiences with other people mm -hmm. who are at that stage as well, just so that we can normalize 
our different experiences and our different mm-hmm. approaches and be able to say, hey, that was really hard, wasn't it? Or maybe that is still hard. Yeah, no, you you totally make me think I was raised by a mother who her mantra was power through, yeah, power through. And mm-hmm. it it just listening to you now, and if my kids are listening, okay, I'm wrong and I'll never say <laughs> that again. Because <laughs> I literally, my youngest son just called the other day and he, you know, it had something, right? It wasn't COVID. It wasn't the flu. We, in our family, we call it the crud, you know, if you can't diagnose <laughs> it, but I'm like power through, power through, you know, and then he goes to urgent care and he now has bronchitis. So oh dear. to your point, don't do that. Don't say <laughs> that, <laughs> Yeah, it, you know, give yourself that space and, and ability to process it. Um, Lindsay, uh, let's, let's hear your story and your journey too. Absolutely. Well, you know, Becca, I have had the chance to hear your story before, but it always still uh, amazes me. So I can't uh, start without saying I just love the chance to, you know, be amongst these um, other amazing women. So Sarah, thanks for for having a podcast like this. Um, Okay, so yes, you know, I always um, tell people that I, I had a story, but now I have two. So the first story really begins um, almost a decade ago now. And similar to what Becca was saying, I also experienced an amputation. Mine was uh, of my leg. And and like her, the story of how that happened is long and complex. But to give you the headlines, I was on a weekend-long kind of lake trip with my husband and some friends. And a freak accident happened where essentially I was run over by a boat. And based on that mm-hmm. freak accident... I lost my left leg below the knee amputation, and then I had some other injuries to my right leg as well as my right arm. And so uh, from that, it is one of those moments which I think, you know, any resilience journey tends to start with, you know, the unexpected, the disruption, the thing that you're just not prepared for, the, the trauma, if you will. And, you know, I think even the word trauma has a lot of, uh, you know, packed mm-hmm. meaning for a lot of different people. And for me and the work I've done on understanding trauma, it simply boils down to, you know, something that we're not prepared to handle. And that can be so many different things. And this was, of course, traumatic for me, and I was not ready to handle this, hence where the resilience journey has to begin from that place, kind of from that Mm -hmm. deep hole. And so from that event, I spent the better part of a year really doing, like Becca was saying, the physical and the mental part of recovery. And, you know, candidly, there were ups and downs. There were moments where I was powering through and feeling mm-hmm. you know, good about myself. And I was a person who did choose to share the journey. And honestly, I chose to share it initially out of functional reasons. It was the proverbial, okay, I don't want to have my husband or my mom or my sister or anybody that loved me have to repeat this crazy story one more time. And so I started to share just to functionally update people. And I realized that there was there was healing for me uh, in the notion of sharing. And I also realized during this kind of first year when I wasn't able to power through and I had to take that proverbial rest, when I was angry, banging my fist on the bed, like, why did this have to happen to me? You know, I had a four-year-old son and a two-year-old daughter and was a busy you know, woman of the world. And here I was, you know, in a literally a hospital bed in my living room. And I was like, why did this have to happen to me? And, you know, I think a lot of us sometimes in the darkness of winter, 
will go through, you know, a, a more mental challenging time. And that was exponential for me that winter. I mean, I was deeply depressed, a person who loves to eat and I was, couldn't take a bite of food. I felt like unless I forced myself to, and, you know, through that year of ups and downs and physical and, uh, you know, mental challenges, I started to, you know, I think build some resilience muscle and, you know, we all have our different perspectives on resilience. And one of the things that I like to think about is in my mind, resilience is a lot like immunity. Like you were talking earlier about, you know, your son getting, you know, bronchitis. Mm -hmm. Well, when our kids are little, you know, they, they have everything, right? The perpetual runny nose, the cough, the this, the that. And it's kind of a rite of passage, you know, no matter where your kids enter the broader world, they're going to get sick. And it's just that immunity that they have to build. You know, I think everybody who's been around kids can relate to that. And I really think resilience is, is similar that you have to go through some stuff and that doesn't have to be as sensational as getting run over by a boat. You know, it can be Mm -hmm. losing your job. It can be going through a divorce. It can be something that's just um, challenging to you, even though you might not, you know, think it's challenging to others. But the reality is, is that resilience is relative, just like Becca was saying. And so I always tell people like, don't compare your struggles. If it's hard for you, it's hard. I mean, we're all different and we all experience things differently. But I think the beauty is, and something I learned that first year is, you know, you, you can, even if it takes time, kind of make your way through some things and, and you do build up that resilience, just like you do in immunity. And I had the, the chance to kind of test out that theory just this past year. And so, you know, eight and a half, nine years past the accident, about a year and a half ago, I had another kind of crazy Uh, not an actual boat, but it felt like in many ways, something else I didn't see coming. Mm -hmm. It was uh, November of 2021. So like I said, about a year and a half ago, I was experiencing a lot of shortness of breath. And as I wrote in my book, The Gift of Perspective said, I didn't have COVID. I'd never been a smoker, but my lungs were destroyed. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know why, and doctors couldn't figure out why, but I ended up being diagnosed with a very rare condition that was kind of twofold. So the underlying condition was an autoimmune disease. It was a version of a disease called scleroderma. And I'll tell you, for those of you who like to, you know, Google things medically, scleroderma is a very broad term that has a lot of different kind of autoimmune conditions that are not always well understood, kind of tucked under it. But my version, if you will, is called systemic or limited scleroderma. And the disease has a very specific way of of, of kind of processing. And I had had what I would call sort of light symptoms from this for years. I was aware I had it, but I was kind of put in the camp of it should be okay, not that big of a deal, um, if you will. But I was uh, one of the 10% of people who did end up having a pulmonary or a lung attack from this particular disease. And so what had happened is it's kind of a slow click, and then it just continued where Um, I eventually hit a cliff and I just couldn't breathe anymore. And so I had to go through months of treatments and uh, trying different things, including this medicine pump that was attached to me 24 seven. It was Mm. the size of a brick. It was the weight of a brick. And it had a line that truly went straight to my heart and gave me these little nanograms of medicine, a brilliant, beautiful invention that has helped many, many people and it bought me time, but it wasn't enough to, to really manage my condition. 
So I ended up this past summer, July 7th, 7-7, which now uh, 7 has become amidst one of my lucky numbers, where I received Mm -hmm. truly the gift of a lifetime, uh, and I received a double lung transplant, which was... Uh, you know, a miracle of all miracles. And, um, you know, I was only on the list based on how fast my condition was deteriorating. I was only on the organ transplant list for about three weeks, which huge blessing. And there's a whole story wrapped around that. But as far as the transferable insights of resilience, you know, I had to kind of go back to the starting line where I felt like, okay, I'd ran through you know, that powering through and I'd accomplished things yeah. with my leg journey. I talked about it. I'd read about it. I've spoken about it. I've traveled. I've done all the things. And here I was kind of back at the starting line or gosh, 20 meters before the starting line all over again. And ironically, I had to learn to walk again with this time because of my lungs, not because of my leg. I had to deal with a condition that doesn't really have a finish line. There's perpetual concerns that that you manage with a situation like this. It's still fairly rare. There's less than 2,000 lung transplants that happen in the U.S. every year. Compare that to, you know, 10x, something like a kidney transplant, which is also challenging, but more Mm -hmm. prevalent. So I went through physical and mental hurdles all over again. But I will say this as we kind of close and, and, and move to our next story. In a weird way, even though this challenge was so much more difficult, if you kind of put things on the, uh, you know, medical challenge chart. But for me, I actually had that resilience. I had some immunity I'd built up from the first time around. And thankfully, that was um, something I was able to call on. So I think for everybody listening, you you can appreciate why at the beginning I said, okay, I, I have nothing to share of any value today because I am just so in awe of of these these three incredible ladies and you know, what, what they have navigated. Um, so Lindsay, thank you so much for sharing that. All right, Jackie, let's hear about your story yeah. of, of resilience and, and the journey you navigated. Well, thank you so much, um, Sarah, for having me here and Becca and Lindsay. It's such a privilege to be here with you too. Um, Lindsay, as you were, you know, speaking at this idea of, wait a minute, here I am back at the finish line or, you know, back at the start line again with your journey. Um, I am a quote unquote resilience and well-being expert <laughs> and, you know, have, have immersed my life in what are the things that make people healthy and happy and whole and vibrant and really looking at that internal journey of what makes us leaders, what makes us able to stand up uh, when things are really hard. And so, you know, the work that I did really originated in healthcare uh, and was working a lot with doctors and nurses and chaplains and social workers and frontline staff that were, you know, saying, why, why doesn't this hospital accept my insurance? And, and really working with people that were, you know, doing things day in, day out, um, life-saving very often, um, have worked with emergency room, uh, cl- you know, clinicians as well. And so I got to, you know, I was watching this from the, from the outside and really did this deep dive into the research as my colleagues here today have done. Um, and then, you know, got hit with one of those milestone experiences myself. And so in 2020, uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, so right when, Wuhan, you know, the, the virus was spreading out of Wuhan, I had cancer cells spreading in my body. And it was um, 
a tremendous time, of course, to go through breast cancer treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through treatment alone uh, in the hospital because you know they were not allowing people in. And one of the things that I found so fascinating about this, because to me, um, stories are energy. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you think about yeah. that, right, um, yeah. the stories that we tell ourselves result in their energy. They, they, they impact us. They infuse our bodies and minds and spirits with this energy of whatever the story holds. Um, and of course, the stories that we're telling externally uh, have an impact on the relationships um, that we're having with other people and our behaviors and how we meet the world. And so I've been a longtime studier of story and a storyteller. And Joseph Campbell, one of the all-time greats, uh, he studied story. He um, did a wonderful interview. If you haven't seen it, it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, but it is a, a collection of interviews that Bill Moyers did with him about story. And he spent his life studying cultures all around the world, both current cultures and past cultures, cultures that had never met one another, uh, and really tried to understand what is it about story that is universally human. And he, it was so beautiful how he describes that, you know, with awe, he's like, these cultures that never meet, we have the same stories again and again and again and again. And one of the most resilient stories is the hero's journey. And Becca, you talked about this a little bit, you know, earlier, where it's this story that we're going to go through something hard. We're going to get over it and we're going to hit the top of the mountain, right? That's the, it's a, it's a classic American story for sure, but it is global, this idea of overcoming. And so that is a story I, I already knew going into cancer treatment, but uh, there was one moment where I was um, just all drugged up on all kinds of things. And I, you know, don't know if I was dreaming or hallucinating or what was happening, but my daughter had come into my bedroom and apparently she tells the story. She tells the story that I called out to her and I said, honey, I am in the underworld and I am collecting the gifts and I will return to you to share the gifts with you. (laughs) And that is the hero's journey. The, The hero goes to the underworld to go through something hard and returns to share the gifts, right? To share what they've learned with everyone else so that that person doesn't have to go through it. That's the beautiful thing about story is that when we share our stories, the other person experiences, but doesn't have to go through it themselves. So, you know, this was something that I thought was really, really gorgeous. That story, that resilient story rises in us almost by itself, because it's so embedded in our psyches. And there are times when that story is not helpful. Um, So it can be tremendously wonderful at some times, but then uh, I hit a period in my treatment that was really, really rough and was on a, on a a treatment that people call the red devil (laughs) because it is a very, very challenging uh, treatment. And I found nothing funny. I was really sick. I looked like I was very sick. My daughter didn't want to look at me because I looked so sick. Um, my dog would growl at me every time <gasps> I came near because really, 
I looked like an alien. I mean, I had no eyebrows, no eyelashes, no hair anywhere. <laughs> they don't tell you that, but no hair at all. And um, and I was really sick. And it was at the same time that George Floyd was murdered. It was at the same time that co people were dying all over the world from COVID. People were afraid. They didn't know what was going on. And I remember just lying on the couch thinking, there is nothing good here. There is just nothing good. Yeah. And so what I learned in, in the underworld at that point mm -hmm. was all I can do right now, there's two things I can do right now. I can ask myself a question. And the question was, what is the most nourishing thing I can do for myself today? And that was it. That was, that was the question. And the other thing, so the answer to that was often, I'm going to go sit in the sunshine. Mm. I am going to go put my feet in the dirt. I am going to sit next to someone I love, um, but not too close because of the chemicals that I was emitting was dangerous for them. Um, but I, uh, you know, it became very simple. It spirals down to those very simple, simple things. Um, so I would say, you know, after going through that, I then joined um, a dragon boat team, which is all breast cancer survivors. And I signed up to go on a trip to New Zealand to race with teams from all over the world. Um, I leave this Friday to go, <clears throat> excuse me, and race with these teams from all over the world. And I signed up to do that before I ever was in a boat or even knew what dragon boat racing was because I had to have something that was gonna be my capstone for this experience. And it was postponed <laughs> because of COVID, but this was another mm -hmm. resilience technique that I didn't understand I was doing. Even though I know all the, 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 tick, you know, the tips and tricks and techniques, I didn't understand that that was what I was doing, that I was giving myself something that I was going to be there, I was gonna be alive to make it, and I was going to be strong enough to paddle in that boat. And so um, so I'll tell you, we'll have to get on another podcast to tell you how it went, because uh, the race is in a couple of weeks. I leave next this very Friday. <laughs> All right. But by the smile on Becca's face, I think you're recruiting her. I, th I think she's going to join you. <laughs> yes. Um, I it, it, here's it. I, I'm I'm so ashamed because I just realized while Jackie was going through this, I I had no clue. And 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 that's the common theme amongst all three of you. And and we're gonna have to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're gonna unpack all three of them were working at this point in time, right? And so they had to figure out just their own health, both mental and physical let alone their families, right? And their lives, but then their jobs. And to the to the credit of of Jackie, it just you didn't even skip a beat. I, 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 you just absolutely didn't even skip a beat. And I'm ashamed that I wasn't even aware of it, but just now it just completely reinforces just how amazing you are. Um and 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 I'm yeah, and I'm so excited that you're going to New Zealand. Okay, so let's take a quick commercial break here. Um, thank you to everybody who's been listening so far. I I know, like I said, you you can 
you can already see <laughs> why I've invited just these three incredible individuals to share their stories today. Please don't leave us because when we come back, we're going to shift more into, okay, how can you be more resilient yourself? How can you support yourself as you navigate a milestone challenge like this? But then as equally important as a leader or a corporate organization, how do you enable or support resilience in your culture and, and, and in your team members? So again, thank you for listening. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. For over 20 years, Next Up has been bringing professional women, allies, and corporate partners together to champion gender equity and advance all women in their careers. Together, we are a powerful, growing community of over 14,000 members and 300-plus regional and corporate sponsors. We work to create leadership opportunities, amplify women's voices in the workplace, and ensure that all women in business can seize opportunities in the now and in the next. Members of Next Up gain access to a broad community of like-minded professionals dedicated to women's equity and leadership development across our 21 regional communities. Get best-in-class leadership development opportunities and attend our two annual national conferences, which bring together the strongest minds in DEI and B and leadership. Join Next Up today. Visit nextupisnow.org slash membership to learn more about becoming a member. That's nextupisnow.org slash membership. You are listening to Advancing All Women with host Sarah Alter. Want to learn more about the show and about Next Up? Visit our website at nextupisnow.org. That's nextupisnow.org. Now, back to Advancing All Women. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the Advancing All Women podcast, and I am Sarah Alter, your host, Today, we're talking about resilience. How do you enable it yourself? And how do you as a leader embed it into your organizational culture or, or into your team members? And I am joined by three most incredible individuals, Rebecca Fogg, author of Beautiful Trauma, Lindsay Roy, SVP of Consumer Experience and CMO at Hallmark Cards, and also an author of The Gift of Perspective, and Jackie Johnson, who is a resilience expert, strategist, speaker, executive trainer, and coach. And so wh while we were on the break, <laughs> I said, oh, Oh my God, like I'm just, all three of you are it just simply amazing. Like my challenges are like this big, you know, and I held up little fingers. And and Lindsay, what did you say to me? <laughs> well, we were, I think Beck and I both jumped in with like, don't compare. And, and I kind of referenced this a bit earlier, but the back, the, the one minute background on this is, I think that's something that people commonly do. And it's out of a good place. It's out of a humble place to say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm complaining to you about my sore pinky when you just had a double lung transplant or whatever. Right. Yeah. And, and what, you know, what Beck and I both said is like, don't compare because it's just, yeah. everybody walks a different path in life. And when you compare, you know, you take out the notion that it is relative. Like if you're 
finger really hurts, by the way. Sometimes the things on my fingers that I've had as part of my condition hurt more than surgery. Like you don't know, it's relative to you. And sometimes right. things are a little bit of a difference. But the other thing that I think is the insight that no one will say out loud is as the person <laughs> going through the really big thing, when people always say, oh gosh, well, that's nothing compared to your thing. Like no one wants to win the grand prize of like the, the shit show fair, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to have the like, no, 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 you get the gold ribbon for the worst problem. And that's kind of how it feels when people say, well, it's nothing compared to your thing. So I'll just say out loud what Thank I think you. a lot of people don't want to say. <laughs> no, I, I love that. It, 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 my, my daughter has this great expression too. And I, and I think it means somewhat different, but it's that whole comparison theme of, she said, comparison is the thief of joy, That's right? Teddy Roosevelt. Yes. Is it real? Oh, mm, I did not mm. know that. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And it, it, I appreciate it. It's, it's, it's like, Hey, you know, be grateful for what you have, but it also, I think in this context, it's, you know, I have to imagine you you have realized joy when you've come to the other side of this, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you should be proud of yourselves. Be Becca, mm -hmm. you look like you were just going to say something. Yeah. And I also wanted to add on the point of comparison that, by the way, you're experiencing and admitting your own pain does not in any way take away anything from what anyone else right. is experiencing. So when we say, oh my gosh, I have no right to complain. Well, you know, if you do say I'm hurting help, that isn't, you know, that isn't a sway, you know, that's not taking away from anyone else's experience as well. Like it's not a zero sum game for compassion out there. So like if you're hurting, say so, or get the help yeah. you need. Yeah. No comparisons. Yeah. Well okay. said. Shit, shit, shit show award. I love it. <laughs> All right. So, so Jackie, let's, let's tap into your expertise and, mm -hmm. and share with everybody too. You partner with the Mayo Clinic. You, you, you have all sorts of roles that you, you play or have played in, in this field, this psych, you know, psychology field. Um, share that, but then share like what, what your better practices are that you guide people yeah. with. Yeah. So, you know, this work started for me when I was asked by Mayo Clinic to help them start their creative writing uh, program at the bedside in Rochester, Minnesota. And so I started working directly one-on-one -on -one with patients who were at some kind of a crossroads in their lives. Mm -hmm. And that was a profound moment for me because I really started to explore uh, directly with people who were at some kind of a crossroads and crisis what is it about story that's so uh, you know healing? What is it that is drives us to resilience? Um, and you know, I love we've got actually coming up at one of the next up conferences. We've got a speaker coming uh, to our summit. Her name is Dr. Coach Kara Lawson, and she has gone viral because she has this fantastic video of her coaching her. Um, uh, kids. She's uh, the basketball coach, uh, women's basketball coach. So I guess women, not kids uh, at Duke <laughs> University. Whoa, um, and yeah. she has this viral talk that says how to do hard better. And one of the oh. things that she says in this talk, which I love so much and is so true, is that I've, you know, I've seen across my work with patients, with doctors, with executives, is that these resilient stories that we've been told our whole lives, um, you know, that they, they lead us to believe that we're going to hit that mountaintop and get to the other side and believe that nothing bad will ever happen to us again, because I did it 
and I deserve to have nothing better, you know, nothing terrible to happen again, right? We, we, we did it, we overcame. That is not the human condition. And so what I love in Kara's talk is she really talks about, we have to get better at doing hard. Um, and so, mm -hmm. because it does come to our lives again and again and again, some of us are, you know, have this wonderful condition where we don't have it until later in our lives. Uh, but then we're not as prepared um, psychologically for it when it hits. And so that's one of the things that I think as parents, you know, I, I really think it's our job to be able to raise kids who are resilient and they have this embedded in them. Mm -hmm. um, and as our job as leaders, it is to help our our teams, our peers, even our leaders, right? It's, it's that kind of 360 management that hard things are normal and to mm -hmm. normalize them for people and that it's not mm -hmm. unusual for hard to happen, you know? And so I think that's actually the first thing that I would, would recommend for people listening is that is just to normalize challenge um, that this is not a moment, you know, we saw this in the popular culture, right? That the challenge we've all been through in the last three years is unprecedented. That was the word of the day for years. It's not unprecedented. Human life is hard. And so to really think about it from that perspective so that we're not caught so quite off guard, I think, is hugely helpful. The and, second thing, and, yeah. Oh, and, go ahead. And, and forgive me. And, and, and to add to it, and I think this is what you're suggesting too, Jackie, is that sharing this challenge yes. or how it makes you feel is not a sign of weakness, right? Like, yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. And Sarah, what you said earlier about feeling ashamed that you didn't know, you know, I, when I was first diagnosed with cancer, my instinct was do not tell anyone because it's, and it was, you know, like, that's how I, I am too. Right. I like that too. Yep. Totally. Because this is a sign, like in my mind, how I was interpreting this is this is a sign of weakness and I cannot share that with everyone. And when I do share it, it felt really vulnerable because I had, I was still in it. I was still processing and going through it and stuff. And so I didn't share it very often. Um, but what, you know, McKinsey just came out with a new study that was saying, you know, top four leadership qualities of the modern era, right? The very top one is support. And I was so struck by that. Um, so when I, you know, some of the resilience tools, there are the classic pillars of resilience, enough sleep, great nutrition, right? Um, uh, exercise is a foundational pillar of resilience. So is controlling mind wandering. So, you know, Becca, you were talking about that earlier. One of the biggest things I think we can give our teams, which feels like, I don't know if I should be doing that in the workplace, but one of the biggest things you can help your team with is to control mind wandering because negative thinking is so sticky to the brain. It's like, it's like Snickers bars <laughs> and the brain loves it, loves it, loves it. And so to really help people when you're going through something hard, understand that it's the stories that we tell about the hard thing that are making it even worse. Right. And so, wow. um, yeah, so oftentimes that's where we get into neuroscience and how do we get the brain to jump the track because it's designed to think negatively. It's designed to scan for threats. And so how do you get your brain to start thinking in a more resilient manner? Um, there's all sorts of tricks and tips for this. Mindfulness is a huge, 
you know, area of focus mm-hmm. that can help you train your brain. But one of the things, tools that I use that is so simple, I learned it from one of my mentors, Lori Schwartz, um, is, and it sounds very silly. My, my friend Lori is, um, she trains support animals. She is a psychotherapist mm. and I was watching her one day. She has this wonderful dog named summer and she would put her hand, like her index finger on the end of her nose. And she'd go right here, honey, right here, honey. Every time the dog's attention would wander off to something else. And it was the most compassionate and loving way of saying right here, honey, when we are trying to change something about ourselves, we focus on it. And then we might start spiraling negatively about like, why am I such a failure? And why does my brain do this? And why am I thinking about that? Anytime we try to create change, it's often negatively focused. And so when I started to work on training my mind, when I was in the middle of cancer and fear was rising up, negative thinking was rising up, I would do what my friend Lori does with her dog. And I'd say, right here, honey, we're not going to think about that right now. That's right amazing. Here, right? So loving, so compassionate, so gentle. And it's such a, it's a deceptive practice because it actually changes the, the plasticity of the brain. It changes the brain so that now my mind doesn't go to those negative places the same way that it used to. So a deep concept, a very simple practice. Um, so that's one of the things I would say, controlling mind wandering is massive. And then the, you know, so resilience techniques, the pillars, again, sleep, nutrition, exercise, one of the other ones, controlling mind wandering. And then the last one that I would say is you're all going to know it. It's social connection. Yeah. And it yeah. is, it is the most powerful thing we can do from through the lens of resilience. So I'll just tell you one last thing about this. Uh, you know, it's hard the, the, the phone weighs 10,000 pounds when you feel like you have to ask for help, at least for me, that's true. And for executives, I have found like your teammates, they're not going to tell you the truth about what they're going through. Your teammates are going to not know how to ask for help. They might not think it's appropriate in the workplace. You know, they might see it as a weakness. Like there's so many reasons why somebody might not want to reach out. And so there's just a very simple practice like that I often advise. If you know somebody on your team is going through something hard, acts of love are very small. Acts of caring can be very small. It doesn't have to be this massive outpouring but it's just a text to check in once a week during mm-hmm. something that's hard. It is a, Hey, how are you? No fixing, no solving, you know, it's literally just a standing beside. Um, and so that's it. That's all we're required to do. Um, and it has such a profound impact on making people feel connected to other humans. You don't have to have gone through the same thing. Mm-hmm. but you have felt the same emotions. The emotions are the same across humanity. You know, so just because, you know, Sarah, you haven't had breast cancer, it doesn't mean you don't understand the emotions I've felt going through that journey because right. you've yeah. had emotions around other things. So, so I think the biggest thing we see, and I, I did a lot of training with a group of, um, 
of managers who were really in charge of the emotional health, because this was a, a health and well-being company. They were in charge of their end users' real emotional uh, uh, mental fitness. Their ability to sit with emotions, other people's emotions, their comfort level at doing that was the one indicator of their success with their teams. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the final thing is to do mm -hmm. your own work to get comfortable with emotion and sitting with people and not having to fix it and just mm -hmm. saying, here I am. And that's all. Yeah, it, it it's a, a, a friend of mine who lives like a block or two away was was battling breast cancer and she oh she tackled it and she won. But to your point, um Jackie, I was shopping one day and I was thinking about her and there there was like just this collection of three little candles. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm just gonna throw that in her mailbox. And she couldn't see anybody because it was during COVID. And yeah, Wendy came back to me and she's like, that was the best gift I've ever gotten, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. So to your point, just small little gifts. So Beck and Lindsay, let's, let's, let's shift to you now as, as you, both of you were working, right. Mm -hmm. As you were, you know, battling your own milestone journeys. Um, what are some of the better practices or advice you would give, you know, both from an individual perspective, but then from like an organizational perspective. Yeah, I mean, if I if I could start with an organizational perspective, because uh, the problem with these these events that you're not prepared for, as I like the way Lindsay design, defines trauma, is the most is expected of you when you have the very least to give. So I'd like mm. to I'd like to start with what. The organization can do for you and what I was very lucky that my organization did in spades. So, you know, first of all was what you can't make a policy or legislate, which is just people reaching out. And I had people at all levels. I mean, you know, from my analysts to senior vice presidents, executive vice presidents calling. And um, as Jackie was saying, you know, witnessing, listening, um, just calling to say, I'm really thinking of you. And the other thing that they all reiterated, and of course, this was because of the kind of job that I had. So I recognize that uh, not everyone works in a professional environment where there are good benefits, where there are many people to do the work. And so one of the things that we have to solve as a culture and a society is making sure that no matter what your work, you know, you're the gig economy or et cetera, that there are, there are supports for you. But in my particular situation, um, you know, they would say, I remember one of them saying, don't think about this, you know, don't think about work to the degree that you can, it's all going to be waiting for you when you come back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in six months, no one's going to ever remember that you were gone. And for me, you know, at that critical point in my career, I had just been promoted to vice president three weeks before I was hiring a team all of that happening. And then here I am out for three months on medical leave and just having, you know, having those people who really were in charge saying, you have one job right now, and that is to get better. So I think that there's reassurance that an employer can provide. And if they don't feel they can provide it, they should ask themselves why they can't provide it because exactly. they run the place. Um, so I think that's, that's first. Um, Secondly, what people did was they took things off my plate, even more things than I could have imagined. So as I said, I was hiring a team. And so there I was, you know, 
five days, four days after this happened in my crazy, you know, hydrocodone high, I'm reviewing CVs. And, you know, because I've decided that this absolutely has to happen right now. <laughs> and so I'm <laughs> I'm reviewing CVs <laughs> to figure out who to interview and making notes and everything. And then I send them back, you know, to HR or whatever. And someone on my team said, how about we, would you like us to narrow it down to four candidates for you? And normally I never would have relinquished control of something like that. You know, you really want to make sure you get right. And then I thought, I have these wonderful, intelligent, hardworking colleagues my God, let them do it. And so I think that's another thing that we can do is just pull things off that person's plate, make sure it's okay with them, but tell them I'm, I'm going to help you. So let me help you. Here's something I came up with. Is that okay? Um, it, and, and, and I think too, the Becca, it's interesting because it I've heard, and, and sometimes this is, this is how I think and feel that if I completely disconnect, that's more mm. stressful, you know, and that even if it's like a little bit of a connection, mm. but is that it, it, like, what are your thoughts on that? Because at some point too, your health and well-being has got to be that number one priority. Mm -hmm. you, you know what? That's going to be totally personal. It's really right. going to depend on the person. So, um, you know, there are absolutely people, depending on what it is that you are, are nursing in yourself. There are some people who are going to find that it's helpful to do a couple hours of work every day, or, you know, maybe even recovery is the couple hours a day part, you know, right. affliction is varied. For me, I was, I was on full medical leave for three months. I was not very able to take care of myself for at least a month, you know? So there was, there was not, I wasn't, yeah really that much good. I think I did a good job with the CVs. The people were great, but um, so I would say that's very personal. So that's another thing where um, an insightful and sensitive colleague will be listening really hard as well. And, you know, how much is this person ready for? How much help do they want and need? Um, and then it's, it's making sure that the policies are in place. I think, you know, men, employee mental health support is absolutely crucial and something where uh, there's, wasn't anything that I knew of at the time, and maybe things have changed, but I still see there's a massive gap in society and in all institutions in this respect, uh, practical support. So I lived alone at the time, but also the notion that a spouse or a fellow pair, a co-parent or uh, an adult child, any of those people, the notion that they are going to be able to do absolutely everything for you, or you're going to do everything for yourself is insane. And we don't have to live that way. And lots of people want to give help. So at some point in the patient journey, and maybe Jackie has insights into this from Mayo, but at some point in the patient journey, you know, we need to be connected with resources that can mm -hmm. help us get stuff done at home. Yeah. And maybe that's a yeah. charity, maybe that's the local temple or, you know, a faith institution, or maybe it's someone telling us how we ask for help from our neighbors. But yeah. that is something that we need to know how to do because the garbage piles up and the food needs to be yeah. bought and the meals need to be prepared. So even, yeah. you know, sometimes the hardest part of that recovery journey isn't just the medicine. Yeah. And that's, and that's where like incredible, you know, communities like Caring Bridge come to play. Um, Lindsay, what are, what are your thoughts and, and, and advice on this? 
Well, I know this is a podcast, but if you all could see my face, I've just been nodding vigorously at everything <laughs> that Jackie and Jack have been saying. But just to, yeah. to add in a second, you know, I am privileged to work at Hallmark, which of course is the center of social connection and caring. And so mm-hmm. I think a lot of the things that, you know, I've been lucky to experience has a good, uh, you know, case study or microcosm of what good organizations should do because people that work at a place like Hallmark are naturally wired to be caring and to value social connection. And so there's a lot of beautiful things I've experienced. Uh, I've been there for both of my health journeys and, and a few things, and this is not me just pushing this because of course I'm a believer in it, but I cannot tell you the number of of cards I received and they are a perfect tool because they're on someone else's time. They don't require an immediate synchronous response. They have something, something from the heart. It's something you can revisit. And so I can't tell you, like, there are certain days when I would be so low and I would get a card with just the right words. And, and, you know, when you're really struggling to believe in yourself or believe in your circumstance, somebody else borrowing your fortitude for you, or I guess lending it to you, you're borrowing it from them in a few words was, was huge. Um, Or like, you know, you guys were saying earlier, the text just to check in to not solve, but just to say, hey, I'm thinking of you, or I saw this quote or, or anything like that. You know, those, those acts of caring are huge. And on the functional side, you know, I was, um, you know, privileged and, and blessed, like, like Becca was saying, that there were amazing colleagues who stepped up and took the work. And one piece of advice to add to that is, you know, I, I also honestly had to be kind of told it's okay to step aside for a bit. I mean, I was literally in the lung transplant journey in a hospital bed, you know, having these diuretics to, to take some pressure off my heart because my lung pressure had made my heart have trial challenges. And I was like still doing calls from the hospital bed because I think I was scared to admit that if I had to step down from work, then like I was in a really bad spot. And so I think for my psyche, I kept holding on to work and to have these, you know, beautifully caring people basically say, it's okay, let us take this for you. And, you know, from that, uh, it also revealed this other concept that I've found in these journeys of resilience that I like to call hidden advantage. I took that from a um, David and Goliath, a book by Malcolm Gladwell, but that's basically the silver lining, the blessing in disguise. And, you know, I've seen these amazing colleagues of mine step up and step in and have new ideas and new perspectives on things that, you know, I was quote unquote working on before. And it's been awesome to see them, you know, run with the work. And then it's given me space to think about new places I can add value. And so it's just like when an organization gets mixed up, this is an unforced one, but it brings new eyes and new minds to the same problems, which was pretty cool. And to have people gracefully say, we've got this, you take Mm -hmm. care of you we've got this. I mean, that's the most beautiful act of caring. And, you know, I got to experience that in spades. You know, one last thing I'll add, uh, you know, Sarah, as you kind of maybe start to bring us to a close here is just, I want to reiterate what Jackie said back to the mind wandering. I have found that to be so huge. And, you know, I, I know some people really talk about living day by day. And when you're in a challenge like this, really make yourself live that day by day, moment by moment. Or find, you know, my son is a very logical person and he didn't know it, but I would borrow from him instead of me thinking, oh, you didn't answer your phone. You must be in a ditch. (laughs) He would think of something much more logical. Apply that to your own self, you know, because we can mind wander to worst case scenarioizing and it really doesn't, it really doesn't help. So try to really focus on that mind wandering. I just can't say that enough from what Jackie said. I think that's a key to resilience and tell yourself those positive mantras every day, even if it feels silly, it works. 
So yeah, I know Sarah, are... we could go on and on. <laughs> we, well, and Lindsay, just to, to piggyback on that, stories are energy. Right. Yeah, great. Right. That's a, well said. Uh, I'm okay. So I'm in tears as I say this. I and I'll and I'll say it again. I am so in awe of of all three of you. Thank you so much for joining us today and and sharing, you know, your stories and journeys of resilience. And but more importantly, you know, sharing your advice and guidance to others. You know, because it's it's as you said, Jackie, stories are a source of energy. And particularly when you share them, right? And and so so very grateful to all three of you. Thank you, listeners, for joining us today. I'm sure you are are, are leaving with your heads and hearts full. So grateful when you join us um, every every podcast episode. Thank you, Voice America for giving myself and next up this opportunity to shine the spotlight on incredible individuals, leaders, and stories. Um, So grateful for that opportunity. I am Sarah Alter, and thank you so much for everybody listening. Thanks for listening to Advancing All Women with Next Up. Be sure to check out all the episodes on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.